we sang someday earlier, and tonight we're going to be talking about that someday, the day of the Lord. The day the Lord comes back, the day that Jesus Christ comes back, and I hope you're able to be here tonight for that lesson out of First Thessalonians uh, chapters 4 and 5. <clears throat> the lesson today, if you're visiting with us or if you have not known this about our Bible classes, our Bible classes have been going through the Old Testament and we'll be going through the New Testament here this next year. It's been a three-year Bible class, a three-year curriculum. Our young people and our older people are on the same curriculum. Uh, that way we can talk about the Bible classes. Uh, your children today, uh, or your grandchildren, they learned this Bible lesson today. All right? So uh, I want you to talk to them about it. I want you to talk to each other about it. I want you to discuss it. Donna Favors, foundation executive for the Montgomery Institute in Meridian, Mississippi, asserted in 1955, deception is a cruel act. It often has many players on different stages that corrode the soul. Deception breeds deception. Our lesson today begins with a man who stole his mother's money. And the mother who would not hold her son accountable. Our lesson today begins with a prophecy that's fulfilled and it ends with a divided kingdom and a whole people who become extinct. Today we'll see deception after deception, breeding deception, a bread cultivated, grown, and ever harvested slick deception that continues even to this day. As I said, the deception begins 500 years before our story, our children's Bible story today of the division of the kingdom of Israel and our Bible story of Jeroboam and Rehoboam. It starts with a boy who stole his mother's money. In Judges chapter 17, a mother in the land of Ephraim had 1,100 pieces of silver stolen from her, and she put a curse on those pieces of silver. She put that curse on those pieces of silver in the hearing of her son. His name was Micah. Her son heard that curse, and he brought that money back to his mama. He said, Mama, I'm the one that, that took it. And instead of holding her son's feet to the fire for the curse that she had put on whoever stole that money, and instead of holding her son's feet to the fire, she blessed him. 
She not only blessed him, she took that silver and she took it to the silversmith and she had an idol, an idol made of silver just for him so that he could have his own religion. He obviously needed something to do because he was a thief. She made him an ephod, just like all the priests wore. And now they had their own house idol in their own religion that they mixed with God. At that same time, there was a priest, a Levite priest by the name of Jonathan. He was Moses' grandson. And he came along that way. He was out of a job. And Micah said, why don't you come in and be our family's priest? And when he did, Micah was overjoyed because now he had a Levite priest as his priest. God had to have blessed this new religion that he had founded. In Judges chapter 18, at that same time, the tribe of Dan had been trying for years and years and years to drive out the Philistines, to drive out the enemies of God that were in their land. Ever since Joshua had allotted this piece of land to them, they had been at constant conflict with the Philistines, and the Philistines still held 75% of the land that was supposed to be Dan's. And Dan got tired of fighting. They didn't want to fight anymore. So they sent a scouting party north through the land of Ephraim, right past Micah's door. And they saw this beautiful silver idol. They kept on going. They went way, 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 way north to the land, to the city of Laish was the name of the land. And they saw that the people there were weak, that they could conquer them really easy. They didn't want to to do the hard work back at home. They wanted to do the easy way out. And so they took the whole tribe of Dan, took it away, forsook their inheritance, took the whole tribe of Dan, moved it north, conquered the weak people of Laish, and renamed that place Dan. You know what they did on the way, though? On the way, they went by Micah's house, and they picked up Jonathan, the priest, and they said, would you rather be a priest of one guy, or would you rather be a priest of a whole tribe? And they took that idol with them all the way north. It says in, in your handout, Judges chapter 17, verse 6, Judges chapter 17, verse 6, that in that day there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Three hundred years before this, eight hundred years before the division of Israel. Jacob. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. His name was Israel as well. He's old and he's dying. And he's prophesying about his sons. He's brought all of his sons, each one individually before him, and he tells something different about each one. Here's what he says about his son Dan. Genesis chapter 49, verse 17, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his riders shall fall backward. The tribe of Dan set up their own religion. And with the Levite priest, they believed that God was okay. God was pleased. 
the tribe of Dan, as the viper of Israel, led the children of Israel into idol worship. And so evil was Dan that in the book of Revelation, they're not even mentioned as a twelve tribe of Israel. One of the twelve tribes of Israel. Not even mentioned. That's how evil they were. They set up these, these idols. This is the actual place where this idol was set up. This is from Tel Dan. You can still go there today. 500 years later, in 1 Kings chapter 12, after the death of Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split because of God's promise to Solomon. King Solomon had left God to follow after the gods of his wives. So God told Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 11 through 13, this is in your handout, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do this in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. The servant of Solomon that God's talking about is Jeroboam, an executive on many of Solomon's building projects. He wasn't a king. He was a builder. And God promised Jeroboam through the prophet Ahijah, if you look at 1 Kings 11, verse 38, He promised him, I'm going to give you ten of the twelve tribes of Israel, and then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways, and do what is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. In 1 Kings chapter 12, though, the kingdom is split, as God promised, because Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he he listens to the wrong advice. And ten tribes of Israel, they follow Jeroboam, and they make him king of Israel. But Jeroboam goes against God's promise. He goes against God. He goes against God's offer, and he does evil in God's sight. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other, notice, he put in Dan. Terrible advice. Jeroboam put one idol in Bethel. That's just 14 miles away from Jerusalem, the place where they were supposed to worship. He put one in Dan, where there was already a a thriving idol worship that had been there for 500 years already. Because Dan had brought that idol with them. All because one mother wouldn't hold her son's feet to the fire. It could have all been avoided if she'd have just disciplined her son. Back to 1 Kings 12, verse 30. Now this thing, idol worship, became a sin for the people. They went to worship before the one as far as Dan. 
He made shrines on the high places, made priests from every class of people who were not the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah, offered sacrifices on the altar. He did So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the 8th month, in the month which he had devised in his own heart. That's important. He devised all this in his own heart and he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. With the kingdom now split into two kingdoms, the the kingdom of Israel to the north and Judah to the south, every king of Israel after Jeroboam was evil. Every one of them. All 19 kings after Jeroboam were evil. And the majority are described in various places in First and Second Kings as walking in the sins of Jeroboam. Around 210 years later, the Assyrian horde swept down from the north and totally took the whole kingdom of Israel away into captivity to where they're remembered no more. Except for a small remnant a small remnant who we know from the New Testament as Samaritans who approximately 750 years later during the time of Christ still worship their own brand of God. In the time of Christ, the Jews of the day were disgusted with the Samaritans. Jesus told the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, when they were having their discussion, John chapter 4, verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Folks, deception breeds deception. But truth breeds truth. Truth Truth brings salvation to the obedient. But deception is a cruel act. Deception is so cruel. Deception has been a plague of God's people for a long time. Jesus told the parable, here's here's a picture of wheat and tares. Jesus told this parable in Matthew chapter 13. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. Jesus told the parable of of the tares. The parable goes a little like this. I'll paraphrase it just just for time's sake. I don't have much time left. The parable, parable goes like this. A man went out to sow good seed on his field. And he did. But his enemy came along behind him in the night and sowed tares. Tares are worthless. Tares you can't make into really anything. But they look exactly like wheat. And they'll ruin your wheat crop. They make you do extra work. 
especially during those days when you didn't have a combine or anything. You had to do everything by hand. And the seed was there, and it grew. And when it got near time for harvest, the servants came to the master and said, We thought you sowed good seed, but obviously you must not have, because here's a bunch of tares in there. The master said, That wasn't me, that was my enemy. My enemy sowed those tares. And they said, what do we do? Do you want us to go out there right now and get the tares out? He said, no, no, just let it, let it go on. Let it go on. And in the end, when the harvest time comes, then I want you to separate the two. I want you to get the, I want you to get the tares in a bundle, and I want you to get the, the, wheat, the, the wheat in a bundle, and I want you to take the tares so we can throw them in the fire. Jesus' explanation for this parable is given in verses 36 through 43 of Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is the sower. He's the good seed. Jesus is the sower. The field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. And since we're talking about a parable of the kingdom of heaven, what we're talking about here are those in the church, even to this day, Tares are the sons of the devil. The devil sold the tares. And they look just like Christians, but they're not. The harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are the angels. And it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7-9, through 9, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His power. Jesus again, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. The tares have not done God's will and do not obey the truth. The tares have not obeyed the gospel. The tares in the days of the judges, the tares in the days of the tribes of Israel, the tares in the day of the kings, the tares in the age of Christianity have not changed. They are deceptive and they breed deception. The tares are among us. According to the parable, the tares will be bundled up and they'll be thrown into the fire. We live in a world full of deception and the deceived. In a 14-mile radius, in a 14-mile radius, you couldn't swing a cat without hitting the house of worship. And they're all different. And that's so confusing. Everybody teaches something different. Everybody worships a different way. Everybody's going after their own way. And some might chalk it up. Some say, well, that's just how God made it. No, that's not how He made it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 
God is not the author of confusion. And that's confusing. God's not the author of that. Have we not learned anything from the past? We cannot worship any old way our heart desires. It is the sin of Jeroboam. Jeroboam had devised his own way to worship God in his own heart. This is, listen to God's word to, to Jeroboam's wife. 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 7. It's in your handout, I believe. Go tell Jeroboam, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been as my servant David who kept my commandments, who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes, but you have done more evil than all who were before you, for you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. The deceived today are marching toward disaster. First, excuse me, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why do they perish? Why do these people perish even today? Why do there, why are there people deceived even to the day? Because they did not receive a love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Speaking to Christians, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. In our time, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, in our time, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Deception is breeding at an ever-increasing rate. How can we stop This out-of-control deception. How can we do that? We can love the truth. We can obey the truth. It all begins with what you do next. Do you obey? Or do you walk away? It's my hope that you'll walk toward me as we stand and sing.